Amen, amen. God bless you. And I, I, I'm just kind of stalling just for a minute here because I'm just kind of looking across the room. And it's a, do I see behind a white mask over there, do I see Matizzi Riser in this room today? That's Mitzi Riser for the rest of you. For me, it's Matizzi. And I love you. It's so good to see you today. And I look over here on this side. I see Darren Smith sitting in this room today. The hand of God was on this man and his healing touch in his body. And I'm so thankful to see him here worshiping the Lord. I passed by on the highway and uh, a couple of days ago, and he was out there on that moor mowing his yard like he, like he never missed a beat, and I uh, thank the Lord for his hand uh, and his touch on Darren's life. Y'all ready for the word this morning? Let, let's, let's dive right in today. I, I'm going to read a story from an Old Testament story from 2 Kings chapter 4. It's a, it's a story that I love very much. I love this particular story and the one that follows right behind it. Uh, and maybe next week, I, I feel like maybe next week I'll, I'll maybe speak from the other story, uh, the story of the Shunammite woman. But this particular story is found in the first seven, or I'm going to read from the first seven verses of chapter 4. And, um, and this is a story of a woman who come to a very, very desperate place in her life. Uh, I, I've preached from this text many times, and it seems like every time I read the story, I find something new every time. Isn't that how God's Word is anyway? It's living, it's alive, and it's always speaking to us. And, and so um, this woman, she, she's come to a very, very desperate place in her life. She's lost everything that's of any value and that's precious to her. It says in verse 1, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Everybody say, but a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels. Borrow vessels from everywhere, from all of your neighbors. Empty vessels. Do not gather just a few, and when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. Verse 5, so she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel, so the oil ceased. And she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. Now, here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. I'm going to go ahead and give you the punchline right at the front end here because I'm not going to be very long today, so I'm just going ahead and give it to you right up front, okay? Here's my title. It's simply this. Filled with emptiness. Filled with emptiness. Sounds like a paradox, a, a, a paradox is simply a statement. In fact, this statement is a paradox, it, uh, but, but simply defined by dictionary.com. I like their version better than Webster's because it speaks directly to this. It is a statement that in itself seems self-contradictory or even absurd, but in reality expresses a possible truth. I like that. I like that definition. It's a, it's a statement that in itself seems self-contradictory or even absurd, but in reality expresses a possible truth, filled with emptiness. Doesn't make a lot of sense to the normal mind, to the, to the human mind. If you think about it, though, almost every kingdom principle is paradoxical. Think about it for a minute. Uh, it, it, especially if you're looking at it and if you're trying to understand these principles through a natural or a human perspective or a human lens or a human way of defining these principles. The principles of God, the kingdom principles, are a total contrast to what the way we normally think about it. Think about, th think about it this way. We all want to achieve some sort of greatness in our lives. That's not being egotistical. That's not being uh, uh, braggadocious or anything like that. That We all, if we're not wanting something more, something greater, something bigger for our lives, then we're, we're ultimately living without purpose. And we, we really might as well just go ahead and fold our arms and lay down. That We are all wanting and striving for something greater in life. 
And the way we define greatness, the way we define attaining greatness or, or finding greatness is we have to do everything in our power. We've got to climb the ladder of success. We've got to work hard. We've got we to we be better than everybody else because that's the way you become great, right? You've got to be the best at your game. You've got to be the one on top. And yet Jesus would tell us that if you want to be great, you have to become the least. He says if you want to be great, you have to become a servant. See, that, that, that's totally, that's contradictory to what, the way you and I think. That's, that's, that's a total contrast to the way we think as humans. To be great, i got to do more, i got to fix more, i gotta, I got to be better than everybody else. And Jesus is saying, to be great, you're not to be better than everybody else, you have to be less than everybody else. It doesn't make sense, it's a paradox. He says, if you want to receive. If you have need in your life and you want to receive, so many times we think receiving means i got to save more, i got to go get more, i got to work harder, i got to get more. And Jesus says the way you receive is you give. That makes no sense. That doesn't add up in my logical way, my logical economy and the way things work in my mind. i got to get more, i got to save more, i got to work harder. And Jesus is saying the way you receive is you give it all away. Doesn't make sense, does it? It's kingdom principles. He says, if you want to find life, you want real life, you want, you want everlasting life, you want abundant life. So many times we think, if I, I want more life. I want to experience more life. I, 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 I want more of these good things happening in my life. And so what we do is we say, in, in, in doing so, we, we somehow transition over into a selfishness. Well, I need to take more vacations, and I, I need to have more money, and I need to have more things, and that's the way I'm going to have life. If I ever get all the stuff that I want, and I have the right people in my life, and the right surroundings, and the right stuff, and all of this, then I'll have life. And Jesus says the way you find life is in death. You don't really experience abundant life until you said this life that I live no longer has any purpose anymore. The life that I live is for Christ, and I die. Spiritually speaking, think about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and he asked, he asked him the question. If you're familiar with the story, you know how it all unfolds. But he asked him the question. He says, uh, teacher, tell me, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What, what, what do I have to do to be able to, to get this kingdom life stuff you've been talking about and that you've been preaching and teaching about on the hillside? I want that life. How do I get it? You know what Jesus said to him, if you know the story, he says, you're rich. You have a lot of stuff. Go give all your stuff away. And we all know that he walked away a very sorrowful man that day. And the thing is, is Jesus didn't want his stuff. Jesus didn't need his stuff. It's okay to have stuff and have Jesus. What's a, what the problem is, is when the stuff has us. The problem with the rich young ruler is his stuff had him. And Jesus didn't want him to, he didn't want him to be a pauper. He just wanted him to not be controlled and ruled by the things of this earth. He said, the way you're going to walk in this, in this kingdom life, the way you're going to experience this abundant life that I'm talking about is when you're not tethered to anything here, when you empty yourself of all the care of the stuff here. And he walked away sorrowful. One of the things that, the first thing you might say that I've noticed in this text that I just read was this woman that we read about this widow woman who now is losing everything that's precious in her life. She's now come to her end. She finally came to her end. She had already lost so much. She had lost her husband. Obviously, she has a very empty house right now. She's lost a lot of her possessions at this time. And now the creditors are coming, and the last two things in her life that, have, that holds any kind of precious value to her is her two sons, and she's about to lose them as well. She's about to lose everything that matters to her. She's come to her end. I won't ask for a show of hands this morning, but I would like to, all of us to ask, I would like to ask you today, have you ever found yourself in that place, in that moment where you've come to your end? I can't do anymore. I can't fix this anymore. I can't figure this out anymore. I, I, I'm beyond the getting the natural answers and the, 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 the natural fix. Is there something in your life that you've been believing God for? Is there, is there that someone in your life 
you've been believing God for. I'm going to tell you something. As I look back over in the rearview mirror of my own life, as I, as I look back over these, what seems like a very short 45 years, but it's been 45 years that I've been here on this planet. And as I look back over my life, especially my adulthood, the last 30, 30, 35 years or so, wait a minute. I wasn't an adult at 10, was I? The last 25 or 30 years or so. But as I look back over my life, I realize that I've seen the miraculous, the powerful hand of God in my life on so many occasions. And, and there, are those, there are those landmark places and moments in my life. And there's not a lot of those defining moments. Look, I've lived my whole life experiencing the blessings of God. You have too. We, we've seen God's hand in our lives every single day. But I'm talking about those life-defining, those life-changing moments where everything turned around, where, 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 where now you're still holding on to those moments. You may not be able to remember what you had for lunch yesterday, but you'll never forget that moment, that powerful, miraculous moment in the presence of God. And can I tell you, there's not been a lot of those moments, not because God wasn't working, because it was only in those moments that I had actually come to my end. And it wasn't until I came to my end that I was actually in a place where I could actually see and hear and experience what God was trying to do all along. And so I look back now, and every, every time I experienced the incredible favor of God and a, and a door of opportunity opened up that was life-changing, I was at my end in that area of my life. Every time, that I, every time that I saw an incredible financial miracle happen in my life, that there's no way that anyone could have ever done this but God, I realized that in that area of my life, financially, I was at my end. Whenever I, when God blessed me with Kayla Bachelor. Kayla Faye Bachelor. I was, I was 29 years old. It took me a while, folks. I was 29 years old. But what happened about a year and a half to two years prior to that, you know what I did? I kissed dating goodbye, and I said, you know what? I'm at my end when it comes to me trying to figure out what's best for my future. I came to my end, and of course, when I came to my end, that's when I experienced the favor of God. And my dad laughed for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> I, think, I think Daddy and Kayla might need to go to lunch today and they get some stuff worked out with each other. Get it all out. Get it all out. This woman, this woman, she had come to her end just wonder if there's anybody in this room today you feel like you've come to your end there's that thing that you've been hoping for there's that thing you've been believing God for there's that person you've been trusting God for to for God to do a work in their life is there that situation in your life that unless God intervenes unless there's a God moment it's a hopeless outcome unless God does the work it is hopeless if that's you today, if that's the place you're at today, you know what my response to that is? You know what I want to say to you today? Good. Good. Well, wait a minute, Kevin. I, I, I'm in a very desperate place. Good. I, I'm at my end, Kevin. I have no more answers. I have nowhere to turn. Good. Because this is the place that he has been longing for us to be at that place when I say, I can't fix this anymore. I can't work this thing out anymore. I can't manipulate the situation for it to work in my favor anymore. I am at my end, and now I'm in the house of my Father. And now I've come to the place where all the answers are, where the answer, capital A, is. So I would say to you, good this is the place that we need to be. Let me tell you something. I want to be clear about this. It's good that we come to our end, but I want to be very clear about this. God does not take any pleasure in us being in a moment in a place of weakness or hopelessness. God takes no pleasure in that whatsoever. He, he's not gratified in any way by us being in some kind of lowly state. That does nothing for the Lord. He's not happy about us being in a sorrowful or dark or lonely place. But us coming to that place in our lives, it's not for his benefit. It's not so that he is somehow uh, gratified by us being in that place. Us coming to our end is not for him. It is for us. It doesn't move him. It moves me. 
it moves me to the place that I need to be. It, it all of a sudden opens up my ears because when there is less of me, there is all of a sudden now more capacity for him. When, I'm, when I stop listening to my own voice, now all of a sudden there's room to hear the voice of the Lord in my life. When I stop trying to figure it all out in my mind, all of a sudden my mind is being renewed with the thoughts and the ideas and the plans that he has for my life. When there is less of me, there is more capacity for him in my life. We talk sometimes around here about fasting. I'm going to tell you something. Fasting is a powerful tool in our spiritual arsenal. I believe in fasting. It's a powerful tool. I'm afraid sometimes it's been misrepresented, though. I've gotten on Facebook at times or social media at times and maybe someone's going through a great illness or or sickness and I'll, I'll hear somebody post something like, we all need to start praying and fasting for so-and-so. And, and, and I get it. I understand that sometimes when we say things like that, we, we mean it the right way, but it, doesn't, it, it, gives the wrong, it gives the wrong connotation whenever we say it that way because it all of a sudden would maybe lead someone to believe that if I fast, if I quit eating for a little while, if I, if I push the plate back, then God's going to hear my prayer and he's going to heal this person. That's not true. God's not strong-armed. God, God doesn't get impressed with us and then say, oh, wow, they're, they're not eating. I'm going to go heal somebody now. That, that, that's not the God that I serve anyway. That's not the way my God operates and works, and that's not the way I view him. Fasting is not to move the hand of God. Fasting is to move me. Because any time that I am denying me, Anytime that I am pushing me aside, anytime I am ultimately sacrificing the flesh and Kevin and his desires and his wants and the things that he thinks he needs in his life, anytime that there is, a, there is a lessening of me, there is all of a sudden more capacity for him. Now all of a sudden I'm hearing things I wasn't hearing before. Now all of a sudden I'm seeing things I wasn't seeing before. Now I'm not just seeing with my natural eyes. Now I'm seeing with the eyes that God wants me to see with because there's less of me. And more of him. We want to see the power of God demonstrated in our lives. We have to come to our end. We have to come to our end. The second thing that I notice in this story. It's found in verse 2. Elisha will ask this woman a question. He asked her a question. Simply, can I take my coat off again? Mike, it's not your fault today. I'm just preaching good. That's all it is. I jest. He asked this woman a question. He says, what do you have in the house? What do you have in the house? Now, think about this for a minute. This woman has come to him in total desperation. This woman has come to him after she has lost everything that is precious and of great value in her life. Can I just be honest with you? If I was in her position, I would be somewhat offended at this point. Wait a minute, you're the man of God. I am am in a desperate place. Do you not realize I'm coming to you because I am losing everything in my life, and now you want to ask me, what do I have? I'm the one in need. Why are you asking me what I have? That would be my position. This, This question is borderline offensive. She's coming to him in dire straits. She's, she's about to lose everything. She's even at this point now, she's even lost her, even, even her pride because she's willing to come and, and, and humble herself before this prophet and ask for help. And now he's asking something from her. What do you have in the house? Can I just say this? Recently, we talked a little bit about faith. Talked about activating faith in our lives, the kind of faith that God responds to. Can I just tell you that God will require us to activate the faith in our lives. In other words, he will require us to put feet to our faith. Certainly God has the power. God is all-powerful, we know that. God has the power to to endow us with whatever it is that we think we need at the moment. But more often than not, he will require something from us He'll require us to activate our faith. Again, it's not because God needs something from us. It's because it moves us. It moves us and it activates 
our faith. Why don't you think about all the miracles, most all of the miracles throughout the Gospels where Jesus would perform these miracles where he would give some kind of instruction to the recipient. Go and wash in the pool the, to the blind man. He, he, he would tell them at the wedding of Cana, go fill the pots with water. God, Jesus could have just spoken wine into the pots, but he had them activate. He had them put feet to their faith and be obedient and step out in obedience. He told the lepers, he said, you go and show yourself to the priest. The Bible says, as they went, they found their healing and began to experience the healing in their body. It was, it's that response, it's that obedience to the, to the word of the Lord. It's that, it's that putting our feet and stepping out even when we don't understand it. It's putting one foot out there. God, I, I don't know, I don't understand. I'm at my end, but God, I'm trusting you. I'm putting my trust in you, not in my situation, not in my circumstance. I'm not waiting for the road to be paved perfectly. I'm not looking for the yellow brick road to follow. God, I'm stepping out in blind faith and I'm trusting you why is this it's because this is the place where we're developed this is the place where we grow this is the place where we become the people that he's called us to be if God only becomes our Santa Claus who just will go and fill our wish list every time we we bring it to him we don't grow in that place we don't get to know him in that place. If he's just the genie in the bottle that we rub and he comes out and says, three wishes today, we don't learn to trust him in that place. I just jotted this down this morning. It says, God, God's not nearly as concerned with my desired outcome as he is the development of my character and my trust in him. Because, see, here's the thing. He could change my situation today. But if he hasn't changed me or I haven't allowed him to change me, then guess what? I'm going to have another situation tomorrow, and I'm going to have another situation next week. And guess what? When I'm there, the little merry-go-round is going to go around one more time, and I'm going to be back in the same place. But if I come to him in my place of desperation and I trust him, even when I'm not seeing the desired outcome, and I begin to walk in that dark hallway and trust him. Remember, it's hell in the hallway sometimes. And I trust him, and I take, that, I take those steps in blind. It's during that season that I'm growing in him it's during that season that I'm learning of him and his ways it's during that season that I'm finding myself it's during that season that I'm learning to trust him and whenever the next situation comes I'm going to have something wait a minute you, the, the enemy tried this on me one more one time before it ain't going to work this time because I learned something I grew I know something now that I didn't know before am I preaching too hard I feel like I am I ain't mad at nobody. I just start screaming and hollering when I get happy and excited about something. I don't know. If we don't learn how to walk out our faith, even when we're not seeing the tangible results, we're not drawing any closer to him. We're not becoming the people that he has ultimately called and destined us to be. We're not being equipped with the foundation of trust in him. Can I just say it this way? That the real miracle is what happens in the walking it out season of our lives. See, we read the Gospels. I want to tell you something, over the last 15 or 20 years, I've read the Gospels a whole lot different than I used to when I was growing up. Because I would, t you would read the, what the woman was healed of the issue of blood. We'd hear about Jesus raising the dead. We'd hear about Jesus feeding the 10,000 on the hillside. We read about all, and we're always focused on the outcome. Oh, what an incredible miracle. Look at what Jesus did. Oh, ain't the Lord good. Look at what God did. But then as I began to look deeper, I realized that for Jesus, it was ultimately never really about the lame man coming out of the wheelchair. It was never really ultimately about the blind man now having his natural eyes open. If you read the stories and you dig in through the words, you see that Jesus was doing so much more inside the hearts and lives of those people and all those who witnessed it. Because guess what? The lame man finally eventually lost his legs again. The blind man, eventually one day they closed his eyes and he, the guy, Lazarus who he pulled from the tomb eventually went back to the tomb. So it really wasn't about the desired outcome as much as, what, as much as it was what God was doing in and through every heart and every life. That's where the real miracle is. Because the real miracle is the thing I'm going to carry with me. Oh, God may, God may send a financial miracle and, and fix my current problem if I have a financial need in my life. But if that's all he does, then when I face another financial crisis in my life, 
I'm just going to be back in that same place again. But if I learn something in that season, if he teaches me something, if he takes me down that walking it out season, then all of a sudden I'm carrying something with me that I didn't have before. And when that same situation or crisis or enemy voice tries to speak into my heart and life, it will not work. So Elisha asked this very desperate woman, what, what do you have in the house? And here's what I love about this lady. I, I love this because I see something in her here that I don't see in myself. And if we're all being honest, most of us in this room, we don't see this in ourselves either. If we're really being honest. He asked her this very offensive question. At a very vulnerable and weak moment in her life. A desperate moment in her life. And guess what? She didn't get offended. I, I love Jesus' response to John the Baptist, his cousin, when he sent his servants to him and saying, uh, shall we go looking for another? We heard you're doing this and doing that. I'm sitting in prison. Is there a, are you really the anointed one? And Jesus sends word back to John and says, blessed is he who's not offended in me. You, are, you may be in a prison cell. You may be about to have your head chopped off, but you're right where I want you to be. You're in the path that I, you're, you're fulfilling and have fulfilled the purpose and the plan that I put you here on this planet for. She didn't get offended. I love what she did at this moment. I mean, think about it for a second. She, she's lost her husband. The, at any moment, the creditors are going to show up and take her two sons. She obviously has nothing in her house. She'll answer it that way. But what does she do in this moment? Here's what I do. You're asking me what I have in the house? Let me tell you what I have in the house. I have nothing in the house. Let, let me tell you what else, Elisha. My husband is dead. I didn't ask for that. I'm a victim here. They're coming to take my two sons. I didn't ask for that. I don't know what kind of debt my husband accrued before he died, but now I'm the one dealing with the loss. I'm the victim. If you play the victim, you stay the victim. If you play the victim, you stay the victim. This woman had the perfect opportunity to be the victim. She had the perfect opportunity to play the pity party. She had the perfect opportunity to say, woe is me. But what does she do instead? This is incredible to me. This is an incredible truth. She just starts to do inventory. <laughs> I love this. For most of us, we look at all the stuff that we don't have. For all of us, we look at the problem and the crisis. Look at how bad everything is. What do you mean, what do I have? But she doesn't. She starts doing inventory. She says, okay, I, I've lost all my furniture. My husband's gone. My boys are about to be gone. I have no pots and pans. I had to hawk all of that stuff. I don't have anything in my house. Oh, I do have... There's one last thing. Yes, yes, I, I have a jar of oil. If anyone had the opportunity to play the victim, she had the perfect opportunity, but instead she chose to do inventory. And I want to tell you something, it didn't look like much, it didn't seem like much, it didn't sound like much. Can I just take a moment right here and ask all of us to just begin to do a little inventory in our lives right now? Could you, instead of focusing on the things that are wrong in our life, instead of focusing on all the things that are wrong in the world, instead of criticizing everything that's wrong and bad, could we just take a minute and begin to go down the line and do a little inventory of our house? God, you've been so good to me look at the blessings in my life she says I don't have much I don't have anything in fact but I do have a jar of oil I, I got a little something it ain't much Elisha but but I got something and I'm thankful for that something I'll tell you something there's been some moments in my life when I did a little inventory and I just began to look at my history it didn't take very long when I just started looking at my history. God, you've, ne you've never failed me. 
I'm 45 years old. I, I've experienced some things, some good things, some bad things. I've, I've had some loss and I've had some gains. And, and through it all, God, I've had some heartache. I've had some, I've had some rejection. I've had, some, I, I've had all kinds of things, good and bad, that's happened in my life. But through it all, God, you've always been there. You always saw me through. God, you have a 100% track record in my life. You've never let me down. You have never failed me. That's enough inventory in itself. My house may be empty. I may have had to hawk everything I own. I may have lost everybody to death that I love dearly. But at the end of the day, God has been good. His promises are true. He's never failed me. He's never forsaken me. He's never abandoned me. He's always been there through the tough times, through the bad times, through the good times. He, he, he never promised us that we wouldn't have storms in our lives. I was listening to Pastor Jeffrey Goodman preach this morning about those who, who are rooted in, in, in sand and those who are rooted in the bedrock. And those that were rooted in the bedrock were not exempt from storms. They just had a root system that held them through the storms. I'm thankful that I've had him in my life to hold me through every storm. And today, I'm still standing. And today, you're still standing because of the faithfulness and the goodness of God. That's all the inventory I need. When, the, when, when Elisha comes to me and says, Kevin, what do you have in the house? Well, I've lost this and I've lost that. This has all gone to pot. But God has been so good to me. I have a little jar of oil. I don't feel it today. It's not really what my emotions are speaking to me right now, but, but I know it to be true because my history tells me, my heritage tells me. And she says, your maidservant has nothing in the house except, except. How many of you in this room have an except in your house? You know, originally I read this text from the New King James Version. I, I, I like that version. I preach from it a lot. And, I wanted to say today that every one of us have an accept in our lives. Every one of us have an accept in the pantry somewhere. I didn't want to quote it directly from the New King James because she said in New King James, your maidservant has nothing but a jar of oil. And I was going to say we all have a but, but we don't, I, I, I'm not going to go there. We all have an accept. We all have an accept in our lives. She says your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. I don't have much, but what I do have, I'm going to activate it in my life today, and I'm not going to look back. I'm going to activate it in my life. It doesn't matter how dark it gets. It doesn't matter how bleak the situation appears. I will not look back. And then the next set of instructions that Elisha gives this woman is very interesting. And, uh, this is the meat of our message right here. And then I'm going to start closing. No, I am going to close. I'm not going to start closing. I'm starting to close now. I'm going to close after this. Whew. I confuse myself. This is what he says to her. He instructs her to go borrow vessels. He says, go borrow vessels. Go to your neighbors. Knock on every door you can. Send your boys out. Get them to go. Call a friend. Do everything you can, and you go gather all of the vessels you can possibly find. Anything that will contain something, anything that will, that will store something, anything that will hold something, you go get it. Yeah, I don't care. You find mixing bowls, you, you, you get water pitchers, you get number three wash tubs, you get the cooking pots, the skillets, get anything. If it will hold something, you go get it. Get as many as you can. He says, don't gather just a few. And then he was very specific about the type of vessels that she was to gather. He said, don't just gather any kind of vessel. You get empty vessels. Everybody say empty. Filled with emptiness. Go gather empty vessels. In other, in other words, Elisha was saying, you go gather you go gather as much emptiness as you can. You go out there, you knock on every door, and you tell the person you're asking, you say, if you've got anything in here that's empty and will hold something, give it to me, I'll bring it back. You go gather all of the emptiness you possibly can. He was saying to her, 
he was saying, you be filled with emptiness. You fill your house with emptiness. This is the second request that Elisha makes of this woman that I'll be honest with you, still seems a little offensive. (laughs) first First you're asking me, what do I have when I have nothing? And now you're telling me, don't go borrow a cup of flour. Don't go borrow some eggs. Don't go borrow some money from my neighbors. That's the stuff that's going to fix my problem. That's what's going to heal this situation. I I need to go get stuff from people. But now you're telling me just to go get empty stuff. You're telling me just to go get emptiness and fill my house with emptiness. He says, don't gather just a few. I want every square inch of your house to be filled with emptiness. Because the more emptiness there is in your house, the more capacity there is for the power of God to work. The more emptiness there is in my house and in your house, the more capacity there is for the power of God to work. Let's be honest. We're so full. We are so full. Our lives are too full. Look at your neighbor and say, you're full of it. Now, if you're sitting next to your spouse, that was your one free pass. It don't work the same when you get out in the parking lot, okay? That's, that, that, this is it. That's the only time you get to say that. We're so full. Our lives are so full. Our schedules are so busy. we got to go here and do this, and we're, we're meeting ourselves in the middle. We're full of our own thoughts and ideas, our own political views. I could stay there a little while, but I won't. I'm sick and tired of hearing everybody pontificate about what needs to happen in our world and what needs to happen here and there and the other. I've got my ideas. You've got your ideas. We've all got our thoughts. We have our people we support and the people we don't support and all of those kind of things. But I want to tell you something. Unless one of us are sitting in Washington, D.C. right now, and we're sitting in one of those seats in the House or in the Senate or we're the ones sitting in the Oval Office, there ain't a whole lot we can do about that other than that thought that I have, go and pull the lever for that person, and that's it. Other than that, I'm going to live the kingdom life that he's called me to do. My first allegiance is not to the United States of America as much as I love it, and I will put my hand on my chest, and I will, I will stand for the red, white, and blue every single time, but that's not where my first allegiance is. My first allegiance is to the kingdom of God. I'm not going to sacrifice or forsake my kingdom principles because I'm an American. I don't like certain things. I want certain things and all of that. I got my ideas. I got my, but unfortunately, many of us, we get so full of so many of these things. We get full of our angst. We get full of our ideas and our thoughts. And he's saying, fill your life with emptiness. It would do us all a lot of good. It would do me a lot of good just to shut social media off for a little while, just to shut 24-hour news off for a little while. It would do us all a good not to quit, quit trying to figure out what's going to happen here, what's going to happen there, or this conspiracy, or why this is going on this way, and us look unto him, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And the next instruction, and I'm, and I'm hurrying now, he says this, he says, shut the door behind you and your sons. Once you've gone and you've gathered up all this emptiness and your house now is full of emptiness, now what, here's what I want you to do. Close the door. Close the door. Let me just say it this way. Be careful who you allow in your places of emptiness. Can I say it one more time? We have to be very cautious and guard our houses of emptiness. If we're struggling in our marriage, Things aren't really good at home. Guess what? That coworker who is who is now running around on their spouse or or, or left their spouse or, or or whatever, that's not the person to let into my empty house and begin to confide in and talk to. They understand where I'm at. They've been here. No. No, no, no. Be careful who we allow. I, I know of great, I, I know of some wonderful people in my life right now, special friends who have gone through some great physical uh, trials and diagnoses that were, that, were, that were hard to deal with and, and to face. And you know what they did? And I can't even blame them. 
They, they had their little circle of people that they shared that with. They didn't put it on social media. They didn't put it out there for the world to know. And they went through that journey and that trial just with that small circle of people because we've all seen it. Everybody wants to put their two cents in. You know, my aunt had that kind of cancer. Well, you know, usually this is what happens and this is what... And all those voices of negativity. And what we did is inadvertently we just let some people into our emptiness. And I love that. I, I have certain people, they, they just guarded that empty room. And, and it, have, it might have offended some people that just didn't know what was going on in their life. But they said, you know what, I just I got to be careful. Because I only want the word of God being spoken and professed over my life and my situation. I don't have room. I don't have room in my life for, for, for your negativity. I don't have room in my life for your synopsis on what you think and how you think it ought to work and, 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 and unfold. Or how it happened for your uncle or your aunt or your sister. Truth is, the next miracle, the one I hope to maybe preach on next Sunday, is found right after this one in the same chapter. It's of the Shunammite woman who... God had gifted her with a son. She, she and her husband were old, and they, never, they had no children, and, and, and she didn't ask for this. She didn't go asking the Lord for this, and, and God gave her a promise and a son. But ultimately, at the, age, at the age of 12 or so, the child dies, and she goes, and she had already built this room for the prophet. That was long before, long before she was given a son, and, and, and she went and she laid him in the place that she had built for the prophet. And here's what, this, is, this is the part I want to I bring out today as, I'm, as I really am closing. <laughs> she said she didn't tell anybody about it. She just went straight to her husband. She went and laid the dead son, the dead promise. She went and laid it on, on, the, on the bed of the prophet that she had, uh, the bed of the bedroom that she had built for the prophet on the side of the house. And she immediately goes, and she just, all she tells her husband is, I need a donkey and I need a servant. I'm going somewhere. And he goes, what's wrong? And you know what she said? She said, it is well. It is well. There's some folks in our lives that we confide in. There's some people that are people of God that we, we know they're going to speak and declare God's truth. And then there's some folks we just need to say it is well. It is well. Everything in my life may not be perfect or well, but it is well with me. And as far as you and I are concerned, it is well. She immediately loaded a donkey. She took one of the servants and she set out to go find the prophet. Her husband asked, what's wrong? She said, it is well. Gehazi, the, 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 the servant of the prophet, runs to meet her when he, when he sees her coming. And she, she's one, he's asking, is everything okay with your husband? Is everything okay with you? Is everything okay with the boy? You know what she said? It is well. I, see, here's the thing. There, I, I, my house is filled with emptiness right now, and, I, and I've closed, I don't have room uh, for, for the voice of anybody else. I don't have room for anybody else's opinions or thoughts. I need to get to Elisha. I need to get to the man of God. That's where the, the answers is in the house of God. So it is well. She went straight to Elisha. Elijah, Elisha comes back to the house. He goes, he he, he lays on the child, and the child bring, brings back life, and uh, life is brought back to the child. A miracle happened. It all happened because she was very careful about who she allowed into her emptiness. Picture, if you will, for this lady, this widow woman, picture this, this miracle moment. She has now activated her faith with that little jar of oil, She's now filled her life with emptiness, all the empty vessels in her house. She's now closed the door to the outside, leaving only she and her sons and her emptiness. And this is what begins to happen, this miracle moment. She takes that little jar of oil and she begins to pour. I, I would love to be, I would just love to witness this. I would love to be able to see this. I, I'm picturing just a little jar of, of olive oil, like what we all have in our kitchen pantries right now. And, and it just begins to pour. And it pours. And it pours. And it pours. And then all of a sudden, the tea pitcher is filled. Oh, oh, hold on, hold on. Come here, son, bring me another pitcher. Bring me another, you bring me another container. Bring me another bowl, bring something. And it begins to pour. And it pours. And it pours. Folks, we need the oil of God to begin to flow in our lives like we've never needed before. We need the oil of God to flow in our church. 
We need the oil of God to flow in our community. We need, the, we need the oil of God to flow in our nation. We don't need to have all the answers. We don't need to necessarily elect the person that has all the answers. We just need the hand of God to go to work in our world. We need the oil of God to flow. Is there anybody in this room today that would admit and say, I need the oil of God to begin to flow in my life. The oil of God that heals. The oil of God that delivers. The oil of God that sets free. The oil of God that sets me on my purpose and the plan that God has. The oil flowed and it flowed and it flowed out of that same little jar of oil. It's amazing what God can do with a little jar of oil in a house of emptiness. As long as I'm full, there's no place, there's no capacity, but when I'm emptied out, when I'm filled with emptiness, then the oil of God can flow. I need the oil. We need the oil of God in our lives. I'm going to close on, I'm going to be Debbie Downer today, and I'm going to close on the sad part. Because here's the sad part. It's found in verse 6. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there's not another vessel. There's not another empty vessel. All the emptiness is gone. Here's the sad part. What does it say? So the oil ceased. Oh, God, help us. God, help us that the oil never ceases to flow in our lives. We are to be conduits of the oil and the anointing in the presence, in the power of God. We must become contagious. We must begin to infect and change the world around us. Let that oil, as it pours into our lives, let it flow out and touch the hearts and lives of all of those around so that the oil never ceases to flow. God, let the oil flow, not just into my life, but through my life, God. I want to see you do the miraculous, not just in my life, but in others. She came and she told the man of God, what happened? And he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debt and you and your sons live on the rest. When we allow God to work in our places of emptiness, when we allow God to work in our lives in this process, it will not only provide for our current situation and our current need, but it will sustain us for generations and generations to come when we fill our houses, when we fill our lives with emptiness and allow the oil of God to flow. Would you stand with me today? This is one of those days when I wish that we could just have an altar service. This is one of those, those days when I want to pull out the old anointing oil and I want to just begin to, us begin to anoint with oil as a symbol of, of the oil of God flowing in our lives. Due to COVID, we're not going to do all the touching and all that stuff today. But I want to tell you something. God's not limited by COVID, and God's not limited in this house. It don't have to happen at the front of this room. It doesn't have to happen with a preacher laying a hand on you. The oil of God can begin to flow right where you are, right into your life. Whatever your need is today, whatever that need is in your life that you're, that you're so desperate for, whatever that place is that you've come to your end with, Fill our hearts and our lives with emptiness and let the oil of God begin to flow. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your presence. I thank you, God, for your power that is being made manifest in our lives. I'm so thankful for the blessings that we have in our lives, God. We are, we are such a blessed people. But God, today, I also want to thank you for the moments when you've allowed us to come to our end because it's in the place of our end the end of that place of our lives God where where we begin to experience and know you when we pushed everything else aside and our focus is on you and you alone it's in that place God that that we begin to fill our lives with emptiness making room making capacity God for your oil to begin to flow into our lives your anointing your power your presence. So God, today, across this room, God, you know every situation. 
you know every circumstance, you know every need, you know every care, you know every desperate moment, maybe as it was with the widow woman, God. Maybe there's that one that's here today that's, that's reached their end. And my prayer today, God, is that you will begin to pour your oil. Let healing grace and power begin to flow into every heart and every life. Mending, God, every heart. Mending relationships, God. Bringing restoration. Bringing deliverance, God. Bringing healing. Bringing grace, God, where there's shame. God, I thank you, God, for what you're doing even now as we call out to you in your presence in your house. We come and we lay our burdens down today in the Father's house. Have your way today in every life, and we'll give you praise for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together today. so full of you that there's not room for anything else. So there's a beauty in that emptiness. Wow, what a message. What a message. Thank you, Kevin. Man, I feel like I've been with Jesus a little bit today. Anybody anybody with me? You feel a little more encouraged than when you came in? Amen. I've missed it. I've missed being with you. And there's something about the energy of a, of a room full of people. Kind of all about the same thing. Feels, it feels right. It feels right. Well, look, have a great week. We're so glad you're here today. What an awesome time in God's presence. So smile at somebody if they'll let you shake their hand and shake their hand. If not, just nod at them and bless them in Jesus' name. Go and have a great week, everybody. Thank you.